First Timothy chapter four, verses 11 to 16. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the bodies of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Well, good morning, everyone. Today we're continuing our sermon series on our elders' six emphases, uh, emphases, emphasis, uh, I don't know what that word is, for the year. As we move towards 2025, these are the six things that elders thought that would be really good for us to be focusing on. Um, so as Larry kicked off last week uh, with the idea of transitions, what does it mean to go through transitions well? This week I'm talking about children and youth, and I guess that kind of includes young adults in there as well. But because I have two weeks, I'm preaching this weekend, next week, you're stuck with me twice, uh, I want to cover two main big ideas. The first week, this one, I want to talk about what having a high vision of young people ministry looks like. I want to focus on setting a really high bar for us, to have high expectations for youth ministry. Together, we as a church can set a culture that actually raises the bar. So today I'm going to look at this one main passage, as Helen just read up for us, from 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to draw a few observations from it. And then next week, as we know what the vision is, I want to look at what it looks like to get there. Does that make sense? We're looking at what the vision is, where we want to go, and then next week we're going to work out how to get there. So just to clarify before I get started, uh, youth, children, and young adults is a lot to say all in once. Uh, So I'm probably going to say youth a lot, or I might say young people, but I want you to know that I'm talking about a broad range here. I'm talking about all these different ages. And the main premise that I really want to explore today with you is this idea here. That living for the glory of Christ is not on hold until you are 18 or 21. There is a way for two-year-olds to proclaim the goodness of Christ and a way for 10-year-olds to make much of Christ and a way for 16-year-olds to make much of Christ. This is the idea. This is the high expectation that we have. This is, life isn't on pause, isn't on waiting until you get to be a certain age. As a church, I want to draw us to a high vision for our young people because what is happening in our ministries is actually warfare. We're actually at war in this world. There is a world, there is a culture that wants to drag our young people down into mindlessness. A world that wants to have empty lives for our youth. That doesn't want them to excel, doesn't want them to strive to be, have high expectations for them. God calls us as a body to actually step up and to pull our young people up with us. I believe that today, right now, God is calling us to awaken a generation of young people from a lifestyle of of death and of mindlessness and to bring them into a Christ-exalting lifestyle. A lifestyle that doesn't start when they're 18 or 21, but starts right now for them. So in order to break this up, what we're going to talk about today, I'm going to have two halves. And the first half, we're literally just going to look at verse 12. 
I want to look at the one verse and talk about how Paul sets high expectations for Timothy. And then the rest of the sermon today is going to be talking about discipleship. I know I'm stealing from that last topic down the bottom, but I'm preaching on that one too, so I'm only stealing from myself. So as this is obviously a huge calling, let's just join together in prayer as we get started. Lord God, we desperately want our young people to know and to love you, to live lives of boldness for your name, to treasure you above all things, to honor you with everything that they do. Help us, your people, to be great examples of this. Help us to likewise see how they can be examples for us. As we stop and focus on generational ministries, I want to ask that you would unite us as well. Empower us to work together in this space. I want to ask that you would be with me right now as I speak. Help me to communicate your will for us today. Amen. Cool. So when I first started thinking about this topic, a few different cliches kind of came to my head. Uh, why is youth ministry, young people's ministry important? And the first thing that came to my head was this kind of graph. Uh, what age did you accept Christ? And a lot of statistics show things like almost 80% of people, of Christians, make faith decisions before they're 19. Graphs vary. This is just one graph that people found. But that is a huge statistic, right? Almost 80% of Christians make faith commitments, make their first decision to follow Christ before they're 19. That's a big deal. That was the first kind of thing that came to my head, and I'm not going to focus on it too much. The other cliche that came to my head was uh, youth of the future. So we need to focus on youth ministry, right? And while I've been thinking about that, I, I think it's almost true. Youth aren't just the future. They actually have a role to play right now. I think as long as we think youth are the future, we're not going to have that high emphasis on them now. And that's the journey that I've been going on this week. And I think that's the journey that Paul talks to Timothy about in this passage. So I want to take you on the journey that I've been going on this week. And we're going to look at uh, this verse specifically. I've actually chosen the ESV version of this because it has the word despise in it. I think that's an important word for this verse, uh, but I'm going to put it up on the board, on the slide here as well. Here we go. So this is the first observation that I want to make with you. Let no one despise you for your youth. Uh, the ESV word despise here is important, and I've put a definition up there because I had no idea what that word means. Uh, to regard with contempt or scorn. And once again, what does contempt or scorn mean? It means the feeling that a person or a thing is worthless beneath consideration or respect. Paul is saying to Timothy here, don't let anyone treat you like you're worthless beneath consideration or respect because of your youth. That is a really huge thing for Paul to say. Don't let anyone treat you like this for your youth. In our culture, we're much more likely to say, ignore the haters. Don't worry about what they say. Just find people that accept you for who you are and live your life with them. Instead, Paul seems to say, no, don't let anyone despise you for your youth. Do something about it. You have control over this area of your life. Paul doesn't just let Timothy get off with this one. He doesn't say just ignore the people who don't like you for being young. And I'll be honest with you, it's really easy to despise immaturity, right? I think we all intrinsically know this. Immaturity have things like this. Disrespectfulness, rebellion, self-absorption, indifference to serious issues, conformity to popular culture, lying, obsession with entertainment. I think as individuals, we are all born with these kinds of things. Sometimes through youth, they're more pronounced than at other times of our lives. But these are the kinds of things that Paul's saying... Don't let anyone despise you for having these kinds of characteristics. 
On one side, we obviously know that we're called not to despise difficult people. As Christians, we don't just hate the people that are difficult to love. We're called to love them regardless. But Paul here is saying, do something about it. If you're hard to love, if you're immature, do something about it. Don't let anyone think you're worthless or beneath respect because of these things. Don't let your immaturity be a cause for people to despise you. That's what Paul seems to be saying to Timothy here. And the second observation that I want to make is that Paul says, set the believers an example. I think that it's amazing that he says, don't let anyone despise you. Don't let them do that. But I think it's also amazing that he says, set an example. That's a huge thing to say to a young person. You, your role, your calling is to set an example. This goes back to what I said at the very start, right? It's easy to think that our lives don't start until we become a certain age, 18 or 21, or until we finish high school, or until we finish uni, or we get a full-time job, or maybe when we get married and have kids. That's when life really starts, and that's when I'm going to take things seriously. I wonder if you did that in your life. I know that I have wasted so much of my life, so much time, because I've just been indifferent to serious issues. Because later on, when I'm older, then I need to start taking care of things. God, through Paul, is inviting you to live differently to that. He's inviting you to step up and take responsibility. This is an invitation for us as a church as well as for our youth. Because we set an example. We lead the way. We can either spend our lives in immaturity, wasting away, waiting for things to feel more serious, or we can step up into our design. That's what Paul's inviting Timothy into. Because I'll be really honest with you, the delayed maturity of my generation is really serious. I look around at my friends, I look around at the people that are my age, and people are so caught up in the party life or or whatever it is that they they really are slow to take responsibility for anything. My generation statistically are are slower to get married, slower to move out of home, slower to take responsibility. And it really does look like to me that we're just waiting for things to get more serious. Our lives are on hold for some reason. So here's the point that I want to make. If we're calling our young people to this higher standard, if we're calling them to step up into their God-given design, are we? Are we as a church also doing likewise? Are we setting a good example of what it means to be a good example? Are we moving from a mindset of we'll take care of you to a mindset of we actually need your help? That's what Paul seems to be doing here. It's so easy for our young people ministries, our our spaces down the back to be childcare, minding them, taking care of them until they can do something. What Paul is saying here is you have a role to play. There is something that we need you to do that won't get done without you. One of the keys of this passage again and again that I see here is that Paul sets high expectations. How many of our young people feel the expectation in their own life from themselves that they're called to be an example to us? How many of our young people in this culture feel like they're called to be an example? I wonder if this calls for a shift in your mindset as well. I think my week this week, it has actually changed my mindset. I think that it's so easy to think that youth are the future and only the future. But they're not just the future, right? So here's the point. 
ministry quickly loses focus. It quickly becomes something other than what the main thing actually is, and that's discipleship. It quickly loses focus from actually calling people up into their destiny and quickly becomes childcare. Are we allowing that to happen in our church? And here's the second half. Like I just said, this passage is all about discipleship. Ultimately, all youth ministry, all ministry to young people is discipleship. It's the calling up, it's the training, it's the, it's the setting high expectations and expecting progress. And this passage that we see here is a beautiful kind, a beautiful model of discipleship, of Paul's discipleship to Timothy. What Paul does to call Timothy up to have high expectations for himself as well. I'm going to skim through the rest of the passage and make a few observations. But first, I want to ask you the question. Are you as an individual called to make disciples? The rest of this passage won't mean a lot to you unless you wrestle with this question. Are you, like Paul, seeking to make disciples in your life? What does that look like for you? Because I believe the Great Commission is, is Jesus giving us his mission, right? And his mission was to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded. I wonder if this is your mission as well. Are you taking hold of the Great Commission in your life? Because if you are, I think Paul's example of discipleship is beautiful. Cool. So here in 1 Timothy, Paul gives us this first-hand example of discipleship. And I want to look at it and go slowly through it, but we're going to make five kind of key observations. That's also a warning because there's five of them. If there's just one that sticks out to you, please feel free to stop listening to me, write it down, and just focus on that one. Uh, I think it's more important that we get one clearly in mind than five badly. So here we go. First one here, five observations. So let me just move my paper. Number one, Paul is setting an example of what it means to set an example. Paul says to go and teach these things as he's teaching them to Timothy, obviously, right? He's exhorting Timothy to exhort. Are you following this model for our young people? As you're discipling them, as you're showing them how to live, are you being a good example first? Uh, This is the exact same model that Jesus shows us, right? Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Are you first showing the actions that you want our young people to follow? Are you being an intentional example for our young people? I think this is a really key here, an intentional example. It's easy to just be a passive example in our church, and and the difference is to be an intentional example. Sometimes this means getting involved in their lives, inviting them into your house, showing them what marriage looks like. Maybe this means showing them what prayer looks like. Maybe you've seen a young person who's exploring their prayer gift and you actually sit down and pray with them. It's vulnerable though as well, right? It's scary. It takes effort. Are you putting in effort to actually vulnerably show our young people what life is like? That's number one. Number two, gifts, prophecy, and laying on hands. Let me read the verse. Do not neglect the gift you have that was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Again, this is ESV, so it might be a little bit different than yours. There's three challenges that I think are here. Are you neglecting your gifts? That's the first one. Are you neglecting your gifts? I think this is really real for me. If I'm honest with you, I know that God's given me certain gifts in my life, but I'm way more distracted pursuing the gifts that are more fun. 
the gifts that more get me up in front of people or get me more praise or glory or whatever it is. I know that God has given me certain gifting and am I neglecting it to chase something else? Am I honing my gifting that God has given me? The second one here is, do you actually know what the gifts you have are? This has been a long journey for me. As a young person myself, I'm still learning what has God given me, especially that I can use as a gift for other people. I'm learning about who I am, who's God created me to be. Do you know the gifts that you have? And the third one, do you know what gifts around you people, other people have? I think in my life group, I kind of know a few of the people's gifts, but it's a slow, long process, right? But we need to get to know our brothers' and sisters' gifts because God calls us to use our gifts in community. He calls us to encourage each other, to help each other realize what God's been doing in our lives. As we're discovering our own gifting, we can help others, young people especially, discover theirs. When was the last time that you encouraged a young person's gifts? That you saw something in their lives and you went up and encouraged them about it? But the second half of this passage is also really interesting. What does that mean? What does it mean that the gift that was given by prophecy when they laid hands? I wonder what that looks like in our modern context. Do we know what prophecy is? Are we using prophecy to bless our young people? What does it mean when laying hands on young people to give them gifts? I wonder what you think this verse means. I'm not going to say too much more. But I think that this means that when we pray for our young people, when we lay hands on them, something happens. Something is imparted or strengthened or highlighted in their lives. I think that our young people are missing out on gifting when we don't do this kind of thing. Okay, that's number two. Number three, practice and progress. Let me read verse 15. Paul says, practice these things, immerse yourselves in them so that all may see your progress. Are we creating a culture where young people can have a go? I want to say a personal huge thank you to you guys. Uh, As a young person myself, you guys have given me an awesome opportunity to have a go. Uh, As you've seen me over the last couple of years get up and start preaching, I I think I've hopefully come a long way, right? You've seen me progress. You've given me opportunities to practice. I want to say thank you for that. It's been a huge blessing. But are we doing that for all our young people? Are we really intentionally finding our young people and giving them an opportunity to practice? Like I said with that prayer example before, if you see a young person who's maybe got a gift of prayer, are you practicing with them? Are you giving them space to grow and progress? Are you looking to track their progress? I think that's a really interesting dynamic there. Paul seems to expect that Timothy, with practice, will progress. That seems to be the expectation that Paul has for him. Our young people need these high expectations. They need us to journey with them so that they can grow in maturity. Here we go, number four. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. I wonder what this looks like in your own life. Do you do this? Do you keep a close watch on yourself and on the the teaching that goes through your head? I think the NIV says doctrine. The things that you believe. This practice has absolutely, without a doubt, changed my life. Growing in self-awareness, growing in that reflective space has been a huge thing for me. Because I constantly go through these weird seasons of life where I get in weird moods or start to believe weird things. And I know in my head I believe one thing, but my actions don't seem to be showing it. And I need to stop and ask myself the questions. 
I need to stop and ask myself questions like, why am I not reading the Bible this week? Am I actually loving my enemies well this week? These are big, important questions and things that we need to stop and think about. Keep a close watch on ourselves. But for me, one of the biggest blessings of my life has been someone else asking me questions like that. Going on a journey of discipleship with someone who actually cares enough to ask hard questions. Are you asking someone hard questions? Are you inviting someone to ask you hard questions? Are you helping our youth grow in this space because you know what this looks like? Here's the last observation. Then I want to share one big quote and then I'll wrap up. Last one. Persist and save both yourself and your hearers. I'm glad, that to, I'm glad that I'm ending on this little bit, but I'm also glad that Paul wraps up this section saying this, because this is a huge challenge, and it's a really big encouragement as well. For whatever reason, God seems to have given us power. He seems to have given us responsibility. He seems to put real consequences into our hands. He seems, Paul seems to be saying that Timothy's actions have real significance, If Timothy perseveres, if he persists, he can save both himself and his hearers. If he doesn't persist, he might not save himself and he might not save his hearers. There is real power in your hands. This is exciting because my life makes a difference. But it's also scary because my life makes a difference. It's challenging and it's encouraging, right? Do you realize how significant your life is? how much power God has put into your hands, that your actions make a difference. I think there's a lot of us here feeling like maybe we don't have a lot of significance, a lot of us sitting here that feeling like maybe we don't have what it takes to do some of this stuff. Paul seems to think differently. I think God would tell you that you have significance in your life, that your actions actually mean something that make a difference. Don't underrate yourself. So this is the last challenge I want to leave us on. And I shared this quote last couple of, well, a couple of weeks, maybe it was months ago in the night service, but I'll share it here with you as well. Every disciple needs three types of relationships in his life. He needs a Paul who can mentor and encourage and mentor and challenge him. He needs a Barnabas who can come alongside and encourage him. And he needs a Timothy, someone that he can pour his life into. So really simply, do you have a Paul, do you have a Barnabas, and do you have a Timothy in your life? There are young people in our church, young Timothys, who need a Paul, who need someone to challenge them, to mentor them, to pour their life into them. This call that I'm calling you to today calls us to follow Paul's example in what we just shared. Paul calls us to encourage, to teach, to show them what living like with Jesus is like. They need you to help them find their gifts. They need you to give them a space to practice and to watch their progress. Our young people need you to pray with them and for them. They need you to help them keep watch, to show them what the heck that even means. They need you to help them persist because their salvation is at stake. The salvation of the people around them is at stake. We have young people in this church that simply need someone like you. Even if you don't feel like you're all that special, I, I, I sincerely believe that you can do at least most of these things. 
If you feel like you want to make a difference, if you feel like you want to join in this mission of discipleship in our church, I would love to have a conversation with you after the service. If you don't know what that looks like to get started, I would, I would love to just have a chat one-on-one. Come find me after this, but let me just pray as the band comes up. God, I want to thank you that we have Paul's example of discipleship to Timothy, that we can see their biblical model of what young people ministry looks like. As we seek to love the young people in our church, I want to ask that you would just help us. Help us to see their abilities, to see their giftings, to empower them to be examples now. Not to wait for the future, but to to take action, to step up now. Help us disciple well. Help us to do that formally and informally, casually and intentionally. Help us to see potential. Help us to follow Paul's example.